Hey, Storm Freaks, this is Phil, and we're starting our epic three-part storm training series. This is part one with guest storm chaser Skip Talbot and associate professor and meteorologist Dr. Victor Gensini. They're going to be talking about storm forecasting two to 30 days out. I have a couple of secret weapons that that uh, I start to look at at this time. Right? We've also got good. lots of hashtag weather fools and Brady's what happens next. It's all coming up on episode 137 of the Stormfront Freaks. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast. This is the award-winning Stormfront Freaks podcast. It's part of the Stormfront Freaks network. Uh, special thanks to our Patreon members for supporting the show and joining us tonight. I know we've got Dan and Angela uh, are back in our green room. We've got Josh, Garrett, Curtis. Uh, they're all in the chat. Uh, so, so thanks for helping us out. You'll want to join us as well with the guests we've got coming on the schedule uh, for the next few months, we got Reed Timmer, Picos Hank Shima, uh, Ginger Z, Aaron J. Jack, Jessica Moore. Those are just some of the people that uh, you could see. Uh, you could also chat live with if you join us at patreon.com slash stormfrontfreaks. And the other show, and a lot of you guys know this, but the other show in our Stormfront Freaks network is El Nino's, the Tornado Hunters uh, podcast with Greg Johnson and his group. Uh, If you subscribe to our show, you're also going to get El Nino's as well. They're on the opposite weeks uh, because we're both bi-weekly programs. All that means is you're going to get weekly weather podcasts. Uh, You guys, if you haven't heard the last episode, the most recent one, uh, they had drift racer Tommy Lemaire on the show. And, and so what's cool about uh, uh, El Nino's is a lot of times they have uh, well-known people in their industry that uh, also are kind of weather fans. And so they, they talk about their industry, but then also get into weather stuff and, and talking about videos and, and things. So it's, it's really cool. You got to check that out. Um, tonight, uh, we're excited. We've, we've got... Uh, a great group in the house tonight. We'll introduce our co-hosts, and the way we do that is uh, by finding out what they're drinking tonight. So uh, I'm going to start up in uh, Minnesota. MJ, who's our producer and Skywarn coordinator, what are you drinking tonight? Well, tonight I went back to a Captain and Coke in a fine Disney glass. <laughs> Dis- Disney glass from <laughs> 1990. Awesome. Never. That's right. <laughs> from 2000. Hey, kids, from the turn of the you century. can get at Disneyland now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Serena, our former meteorologist at the uh, Mount Washington Observatory. Serena, what are you drinking? I have a uh, milkshake IPA tonight called Extra Fluffy. Oh. A and milkshake? So how, how are you going to tie that? How, you, how do you tie that into a weather theme? It was a stretch tonight. I'll be honest. It was okay. a stretch tonight. Yeah. Uh, clouds, clouds, 30 there day forecasts. Go. I don't know. There you go. That's good. That like works. That. Maz, uh, former on-camera meteorologist uh, in Cincinnati, what are you drinking? Well, it's what I'm not drinking because earlier I was spent way too much time at Mount Carmel Brewery, and uh, it was <laughs> so we're just straight purified water right <laughs> now. <Time> to hydrate <laughs> and vitamin Smart C. Man. He's coming down. He's coming down. All right, Jen, uh, former social media specialist at the Weather Channel. Welcome Actually, back. What are you drinking? Two shows. Still two shows. I still do at the Weather Channel. Wow. In case 
Yeah. So what's your um, title there now, though? Because you're not social so media I'm a specialist. Contracting. No, no, no. I'm a contractor. Contractor. So, yeah, yeah. Weird okay. Earth and uh, Weather Gone Viral. Yeah. Well, well I'll change nice. your title then when I introduce you next time. Sorry. I'll just New say Show Girl. Con- <laughs> licensed killer. Contract killer. At the <laughs> this is true. What are you drinking? Oh, my God. I, I wanted to surprise you guys tonight. I really did um, yeah, yeah. with a cut water vodka. Um, but, no, I have yeah, my, my normal. Yeah. Um, I got some hot chocolate. I know. One of these days. I'm with whipped cream? On... Hot no. I had marshmallows well, in it. <laughs> oh, nice. you got to have the whipped cream. That's a killer. I don't know about that. Wait, what the heck is it like in Atlanta today? Is it like 90 or something? Probably. It is. It is. So I don't do very well with um, alcohol. Like I can get a hangover with just one drink. So I have to take care. Okay. Yeah. Well, Brady, our atmospheric science uh, degree major from Ohio State. What are you drinking? You know, I'm going to be real. I'm having some bourbon, but there's got to be some old ice or something because it's awful. I mean, it tastes like this <laughs> ice has been sitting there for like two years. So I'm about oh, yeah. to go dump this and get something else. But. Your video kind of sucks tonight, too, just so you know. It's, uh, Does it? Yeah, you look like you're from 1980 playing Donkey Kong or something. But <laughs> Well, you know, I, 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 you look I have better. been playing you some look Donkey better. Kong. So, so. I'll, just, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, hey, I want, I want everybody to know we got a special show tonight. Uh, this is part one of our three-part storm training series where we're kind of bringing together meteorologists and storm chasers who've created some of the in my opinion, some of the best training resources, presentations, videos that they've done on their own. Um, We all know the Olympics are happening right now this week. And so we've kind of got our own goats in the studio to to discuss their tools and strategies uh, tonight for identifying storms 30 days, um, 14 days, really all the way up to just a couple days out. So uh, Maz, let's introduce our uh, goats, our guests tonight. Man, first I thought you said old goats, and I thought you were talking about me, and I was like, you son of a... <laughs> hey, we've got a couple of superstars here tonight. Skip Talbot, storm chaser extraordinaire, Dr. Victor Gensini, meteorologist and associate pro- pro- uh, professor, excuse me, I said producer, could use one of those myself tonight. Say Skip Talbot is a software and graphics developer who started chasing supercells and tornadoes back in 2003. Now, get this, he's logged over... 100,000 storm chasing miles. I'll have wow. to find out if it's in one vehicle or not, but, and has documented over a hundred tornadoes. He also helps run a nonprofit charity for storm victims called storm assist. That is so cool. And Dr. Vin- Victor Gensini is a certified consulting meteorologist and associate professor at Northern Illinois university. Now, currently majority of his research is examining weather and climate dynamics that explain variability in extreme weather frequency and analyzing ways to forecast these events. And if you say that all in one sentence, it's going to be like, holy cow, it takes you five minutes just to say that part. I'm going to do this part uh, alphabetically. So, Skip, how did you guys first meet, the two of you guys? Yeah, it was through College of DuPage and the severe weather seminars that they host there. And, um, yeah, they invited me up there to give a presentation on storm spotting and storm chasing and um and yeah that's basically where we met and then we did some storm chasing together i drove for college of dupage in 2014 on one of their trips victor was leading the leading the charge and leading all the the group out into the field and i was driving van one and uh, we've also done some storm chasing on our own together so yeah we go back uh, a whole bunch of years is is van one still around after a hundred thousand miles or what are we talking (laughs) there's new vans there right 
Yeah, they got new vans. Again, I'm, I'm sort of distant from the program now, but, um, you know, I started chasing in 2004. I think I'm very, very close to about 180,000 miles starting in 2004. Uh, there were years there for a while. Uh, I was easily logging 20, 25,000 miles, um, driving well into Canada, yeah. actually chasing. So I've done a lot of chasing. Uh, I don't do a great job logging everything like Skip does and taking beautiful videos. I have terabytes, hundreds of terabytes worth of time-lapse photography that I haven't even processed because I'm too damn lazy. <laughs> Victor, hey, Victor, do you find that storm chasing helps improve your forecasting ability? Absolutely. Can you see my tag? Not a not a real doctor. That's what that says. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm a way better professor, forecaster, uh, way better steward under an understanding of the atmosphere because of storm chase. I see things in the field that I know like the dynamics around them of what's happening and I can understand that mathematically in a textbook. But when you see it firsthand, uh, that's when everything clicks. It's amazing. I love that. I think yeah. that's awesome. So Victor, I have a question for you first and then Skip can answer this too. So as a storm chaser, a meteorologist, we always are wanting to know when are we going to go chasing this next year, right? You know, around December, January, you start getting the bug, you're thinking about it. And I know that even like seven days out, a couple of days out, you may not even know what the forecast can be. It can change, you know, really quickly. So is there anything at all that meteorologists and storm chasers can look at that far in advance to just get an idea of when it might be a good time to go out or if it's going to be a really active year? Well, you see, I, I log into storm track. I find the person who says that the season is going to be an absolute coffin. It's going to be terrible. And then I just say the opposite thing. That's what I do. I just say the opposite thing. And then I have this very special magic eight ball that I shake a couple of times <laughs> and look at it. That's no. very scientific. Seriously, the the answer is is no, uh, because what is a, you know what makes a good storm chase? Is it a good tornado? Is it a good supercell? You know, I would argue just being out there and getting good deep towering convection can be extremely rewarding. Some of my best chases had no tornado, and I truly I truly am more enamored by the structure sometimes of supercells than the attendant you know, dust swirl of a tornado that everyone says, oh, I bagged, I bagged one today, woohoo! You know, okay, I don't give a shit. It was a 30-second, you know, tornado that was nothing burger. Um, I, you know, to me, I block off the time in late May. I'm not a big April chaser. The storm motions for me are just too fast. I'm not interested in trying to fly 50, 60, 70 miles per hour to stay ahead of storms that are going to yeah. probably be in the southeast. Uh, so, no, I, you know, there are, there are, there are teleconnections, El Nino and La Nina mostly, that can load the dice towards an earlier season or a more active season. But uh, there are plenty of, for example, La Ninas that uh, end up not being active like this year. You know, this year we're about 300, 400 tornado reports below average for the year. Um, and this year was not a great tornado year uh, for by Great Plains standards, chasing standards, in my opinion. Yeah. Hey, Skip, I got to ask you a quick question. Do you find... Like, like when Victor's talking about, man, yeah, tornado. Do you get conflicted at all with the whole, yeah, awesome tornado, and then your nonprofit for victims 
of tornadoes? Do you ever feel like I, I want to see a cool tornado, but I don't want, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of like the guilt almost of witnessing the most powerful force in nature, but at the same time knowing that it could potentially ruin lives, right? So um, the way we chase and the places we chase, um, it that's actually, it's rarely a thing where this tornado went right through town and there's mass devastation. I mean, it's always our goal to witness these things out in the middle of nowhere. But I mean, if you chase long enough, yeah, you're, you're going to come upon disaster. But it's rare. It's so rare for us to be out, out there and, and, you know, disaster hits. Most tornadoes are in the middle of nowhere and they hurt no one. And um, there's a thousand tornadoes every year. and Only a handful are killers. So, I mean, yeah, the mood changes drastically once, once we know a town's been hit, that there's casualties. But for the most part, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere enjoying nature. So we've talked about not being able to know sort of six months in advance, unfortunately, but that's fine. So let's start talking about a time frame where we can start seeing some signals, right? So that 30-day time period we talked about here during the intro of the show, um, you know, this is where I want to get into a little bit of the the detail. 30 days out, how can, how can you do that? Like, it almost seems like it'd be just like a horoscope, right? <laughs> but it's got to be more than that, you know? So, you know, like, talk science to me, Victor. Like, how can you tell me what's going to be happening 30 days in advance with these forecast models? I really start watching things very closely late February, very early March. I'm very interested at that time to be watching the tropical Pacific Ocean. So really, like, the Indian Ocean, the Maritime Continent, out to the International Dateline, this area that's sort of formally known as the MJO or the Madden-Julian Oscillation. So I'm really watching for sea surface temperatures there. Are they above average? Are they below average? One thing that you need to know about our atmosphere is that the circulations, the changes in weather patterns that we have are primarily driven by the tropics. So it's not a high latitude phenomenon. It's not something that originates in the mid latitudes our circulation patterns can change. So we can go into this complete pattern flip that's really conducive for tornadoes or perhaps a pattern like, you know, middle of late May of this year, which was, was you know, wasn't that favorable. Those are predominantly driven by tropical convective forcing. So what I'm basically saying is huge masses of thunderstorms in the Western tropical Pacific associated with the MJO. So I'm really watching, say March 1st, where is that convection? How strong is it? How is it altering the jet stream patterns across the Pacific? Because if we start to get what happened this year, if you remember back to this year, all of the pundits, everybody was saying above average, above average, because they were all pointing to La Nina. But what happened this year, we had really bad split flow. And split flow is basically just happens when the we have two jet streams in each hemisphere, but the northern one was so far north and the southern one was so far south that we basically just had these meandering jets or what we call split flow and those years in history when you go back and look at tornado counts are usually way below average and that's kind of exactly what happened this year so i really get excited on or around march 1st i'm watching this tropical convective forcing i'm watching things like gulf of mexico uh sea surface temperatures right because that might have an impact on moisture return flow into the great plains and just overall trying to get a feel for how active we've been already to that point because one thing we know about springs, if you start early, you usually finish strong. And so it's like, you know, if you're starting really slow and the pattern's not conducive, it's probably for a good reason. 
And oftentimes we get into what's called persistence. These regime regimes that are just, they're sort of really hard to break out of. <laughs> the atmosphere kind of needs an enema to change something. And without it, like without some sort of big tropical convective forcing or a recurving hurricane, it's sometimes really hard to get out of those base states. So I really like, I have a pretty good idea of what I'm thinking the spring's going to be like the first couple of weeks in March. That's it doesn't awesome. mean I'm always, it doesn't mean I'm always right, but I have a pretty good idea of what to expect. Uh, and then of course, you know, things can change based on how strong that tropical convective forcing is and, and where it moves. Skip, Skip, what, what are you, when do you start looking at the season and, and again, and what are, what are the things that you're looking at? Kind of what's your time period? Yeah. Outside of 14 days, um, I'm asking Victor. Um, I don't do, <laughs> I, yeah, I really do. I, I'm, I'm asking Victor, I'm looking at his ERTAF um, output and I really don't get into the long range stuff. Um, to me as you know, I'm a blue collar storm chaser, you know, I'm not well versed in the theory um, and, and a lot of the, the fundamental meteorology behind all of it. Um, but, but, uh, and it takes one or two days to make or break the entire season for me. So, and those will happen on the worst and slowest of years. And every year, even this year, even in a really bad year, a chaser has a career, a career year and a career chase. So, um, beyond 14 days, I'm straight up climatology usually. So I'm, I know in June that we're going to be up in the Northern Plains. We're going to be up in the High Plains. That's my favorite time and place to chase. And I'm just by default making plans to be up there. You know, in May, we're going to be in the Central Plains. And of course, that shifts around greatly depending on where the jet is. Um, but yeah, in, in that long range, all I'm doing is making plans based on straight up climatology on the general region and, and when and where we're going to be. So yeah, I start getting excited in March. Um, March is a real hit and miss for, for chasing. Um, it's boom or bust. And then, uh, you know, sometimes we get those big high risk setups in the Midwest where you have a huge kicking trough come through and locate set up and you wind up with a Henryville or something like that. And then in April with the lifting warm fronts. So yeah, I, I just try to stay on top of those patterns, but to do any sort of specific planning or, or forecasting or magic, you know, crystal ball, um, reading nah not at that range so so, yeah. so let's so let's go so you're in and i think that's where you can get a little better with your forecasting and with what's available from a model standpoint you're talking kind of the two-week area so skip let's start there for you what um kind of what's your strategy a couple weeks out what are the tools you're looking at to start to see what's out there yeah, at, at the two-week range, I guess that's when I am really starting to look at data and, and models. And um, to me, as a storm chaser, it's about finding specific tools and things that work. Um, and and you, you get these little niche tool sets that help you hone in on a target or get out there to a chase. At that long range, I'm, of course, looking at the GFS and, and the Euro. And, and at that range, what I'm most interested in seeing is consistency. Um, I don't usually get super excited or geek out, you know, oh my gosh, there's 3000 Cape and look at this trough at 384 hours. Um, what I want to see is the models run to run starting to show the same thing, the GFS and the Euro showing the same thing. So I want to see model to model consistency. I want to see run to run consistency. And at that range there, it's usually all over the place. You've got these big spaghetti plot of solutions. So um, yeah, if I see that consistency, I'll start paying more close attention. 
uh, to what's going on there. And yeah. uh, and then after that, I just want to see how is it trending. So um, a lot of times you see some, a big trough out at 300 hours and everyone gets excited. And then each run, you know, it backs it off, it backs it off. It's less amplitude. It starts to go away. You're still going to go chase because you got suckered in at 300 hours but by the time the event arrives it's you know it's lackluster so so yeah. where, where where are you i'm sorry where uh help us where are you getting those tools what are the so you're talking about the models um help people that maybe aren't as familiar where are you finding sure. those and, and getting those sure i can give you a brief tour of what i actually look at if that's cool and we got time yeah absolutely uh if you can share your screen mj will pull it up pull it up for you all right, I am sharing my screen. And Skip, towards the end, I would love to know too, because I because I know like during the winter we use the ensembles for a lot of things. You know, for severe weather, what and what factor you know do the ensembles, both for the GFS and the Euro, you know, do you use those as well and use the averages on those? But maybe you can get to that after you. Sure, uh, sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, and Victor would be great to ask about this too. So. Um, as a chaser, I want to make use of, there's a plethora of data, there's, it's data overload. So to me, the main thing is about having an efficient workflow. How do I use all of this data and come up very quickly with, with uh, something that I can use and not get bogged down in all of it? Um, and what I wound up doing was making my own website to quickly browse all of the model output that's out there. So, and my go-to source is the College of DuPage. Um, that's usually the site I'm checking first. And what I, what I've done is I've basically hot linked off of their graphics, um, just to, just to use my own, um, website to quickly browse stuff here. But, but I'll show you what I do here real quick is when I'm checking that long range, the first thing I do is I usually pull up the GFS here. Um, and anyone can use this site. Um, I recommend actually going to the college of DuPage site, go directly to the source here. This is just the, my own tool that I use. You're welcome to use it too. But the College of DuPage actually has a lot of extra features on it that my site doesn't make use of. Um, I just did this on my own to make this very quick for browsing purposes. But basically, um, the first thing I check this time of year in the summertime is the 500 millibar winds. I want to know if we have any upper level flow because we're in summer doldrums right now. So if I don't see any of that, you know, wind aloft, I'm usually not too interested in what's going on. And so a very quick way to, to check that is I pull up this site, um, click the GFS, and then I load up a run here, the US uh, 12Z run, which was this morning. And then I'll go down here to the products and I'll click the 500 millibar winds. And I've already loaded here and I've, I've arranged this so you can quickly see the entire uh, week or so that's coming up here. So um, if, I, if you mouse over these hours, uh, you know, the 12 hour forecast on this run is the evening. So uh, the way this is arranged is I can just move horizontally across these hours here and I get the same time for each day. And that very quickly allows me to see what the upper level pattern is here. Is there anything in here that's getting my attention like a trough? Do we have any mid-level flow here coming in the Midwest or the Plains? So just very, it only takes a few seconds to check this and I can check it each morning uh, to get kind of a picture of what's happening with the weather. So I noticed, okay, at 84 hours, looks like there's a little bit of uh, mid-level flow, a little zonal flow on the bottom of this closed load here in the Midwest. So what's going on there? Then I can actually click on this 84 hours. And then what that does is it loads all of the products at 84 hours. 
So then I just move vertically through the products to see, okay, we've got a huge dome of hot air in the planes. Looks like there's, looks like a dry line is setting up there along the red or the Missouri river um, in Eastern Nebraska and Western Iowa. So that's, that might be a focal point for storms, something to, to look for and, and then, okay, what's our little, little jet doing? Are these winds veered? And um, so, yeah, this is just kind of the workflow that I go through when I'm picking out a setup here. And finally, I'm getting down to instability, just basically looking at what ingredients do we need? Those big four ingredients, um, you know, shear, lift, instability, moisture, and, you know, the GFS is saying this is capped and it's common for the GFS to do this at this time range. And I, I would expect capping problems with this kind of setup here where we've got this closed low that's backed off here and a lot of hot air aloft and, you know, it's summertime. So, but yeah, this is the tool that I use uh, to get out there. And, and this is kind of the workflow that I go through. And again, as a storm chaser, it, it's to me, it's about marshalling all of this data and, and finding the tools that work and not getting bogged down with, you know, the stuff that doesn't work. Because um, uh, yeah, it, it uh, uh, that's the big thing really. So Victor, at what point then, so we're talking about, you're looking, you know, that 30 days to two weeks, you're looking for model convergence, model consensus, all of that. You're looking for the trend. You're not actually looking at, you know, point information. Forecast models are getting better with time, you know, as we have increases in computing power and, you know, all, all these different things that are happening. At what point does that start to flip a little bit? At what part, point can you start to say, okay, I can actually start looking at some of this point information and not so much focusing on the model convergence. Like it actually can start to believe some of the data that's coming out of these models. That's a good question. Really, research shows that about day 10, you can start to have skill in actually predicting the local, uh, what would you would be considering grid point values, right? So if you're looking at GFS data, especially deterministic data, beyond 11 days, we've doc we wrote a paper on this two years ago. There's absolutely no skill. You're better off actually forecasting a random number or climatology. Cl persistence is actually a way better forecast. Than I, can the week before. I can do that. I can come in. <laughs> uh, like, seriously, there's absolutely, we've documented this. There's absolutely no skill. By the time you get to day 10, you can start using things like the GFS ensemble. I don't really like to use deterministic models. I stick with ensembles when I'm in the long range, especially week two. And I, I'm just like Skip, I'm looking for agreement, but I'm really less interested in specifics at that point. I'm really just looking for upper level flow in the summertime because I know there's gonna be instability somewhere. Do I have shear in the early spring? I may think there's gonna be shear, so I'm just looking for moisture. Uh, I go back to this ingredients-based sort of methods that Skip uh, talked about. I use my own homebrewed stuff. I have, shh, this is only for subscribers. I have, I, <laughs> I have hourly, I have hourly significant tornado parameter that I calculate for the GFS. I just don't have it out there online anywhere, right? So I mean, you wow. can you can do this kind of stuff if you want. Mostly, I just use chiclet charts. So if you're not familiar with what a chiclet chart is, I linked it there uh, in the chat. I basically use this big uh, map in the middle of all of these blues and reds to try to get an understanding in the next ten days which days might be the most, you know, active from a supercell composite parameter perspective, because that tells me where at least all the ingredients are overlapping with inside of the model. And when I start to see vertical continuity in the chiclets, there's my agreement that, you know, somewhere in the United States, the parameter space is going to be good for supercells. And then, you know, as it gets to day four through eight, now I'm really looking at specifics, right? I wanna know exactly where the dry line is. Am I gonna be having to deal with HP supercells, beard flow? What's sort of the, 
what's the picture in my mind of convective morphology for that particular day? How do I see it sort of playing out from a synoptic scale? And then, of course, as you get closer to the, you know, we can talk more about those, you know, the specifics once you get closer to day three and four and really what we're looking for. But at weeks one and two, I'm really just looking for big synoptic scale picture. Do we have a system, right? Do we have a wave? Do we have a trough? Do we have some cape and shear? Uh, my favorite maps to look at are on the COD site under the uh, GFS Ensemble page. I'll just show you what I do. This is this is awesome. I just I can do it really quick here. Um, so I'll go to my chiclet chart, but here's what I do. I created these graphics, so I'm a little bit, uh, you know, I guess I'm biased towards using them. But basically, I just go here to the GEFS. I go to convective products, and uh, I'm really looking for this first plot. What's the probability of getting at least 1,000 joules of cape? And then what's the average 500 millibar wind speed from all the members? And so if I go to this weekend, which, right, we're expecting severe weather across the Midwest, right? Every single member, 95% of them have cape over 1,000 joules. And I'm, you know, at 500 millibars, my wind speed is 25, 30 knots, which gives me a proxy for deep layer shear. And, you know, that's when I'm moving into spring, I'm sort of, you know, what's that, what's the synoptic pattern look like? Uh, before I worry about any of the major details. I'm really in the spring, especially May, I'm just looking at the 500 millibar pattern. <laughs> That's all I care about uh, in most most cases. So why did you why did you choose 1,000 instead of 2,000 or 3,000? Just because it's more general or? Well, if you use, use 2,000, you're going to be limited to the planes and you're not going to see a lot of agreement. First of all, it's pretty hard uh, outside of, say, late May and into June to get 2,000 joules. And the sweet spot might be 1,500, but you're going to lose a lot of Cape as you go east of the Mississippi River. You're not going to capture any of those southeastern United States events, right, that are typically lower Cape, higher shear. Um, so I think a thousand is a pretty good sweet spot, especially when you're averaging across 35 different members. And some of them are going to have 5,000 and some of them are going to have zero. Right. Awesome. And uh, Victor and, and uh, Skip, I think this question could go to either of you. Um, but what do you think in the one to two week range, what are we doing wrong that that you see us being able to correct in the next 10 years or what, in, what, in your opinion, what's the, what's the thing that storm chasers or forecasters are doing wrong right now that, that we should correct or, or are looking to correct in the future? I think one way that we're going to get a lot better is understanding weather regimes when the models have a lot of skill and when they're not so skillful. So there's times actually throughout the year when the GFS is doing really good in week two and there's times when it's not. And I think if chasers can, attune themselves to understanding patterns that are favorable for the models doing well, then using them is great. But I think what I see a lot across the storm chaser community is just relying on the raw output, for example, from the GFS and saying, well, next week sucks. Everybody pack it in. There's going to be no chasing. The GFS shows a huge death ridge. I guarantee you, like I past 10 years, I told you 20, 25,000 miles. I'm out there during those patterns and I'm having a blast because nobody's out there. There's 25, 30 knots of flow on the high plains, but they're beautifully structured storms. And you have to ask yourselves, are you are you tornado chasing or are you storm chasing at that point? And I think that's where a lot of the, people get so upset if it's not a perfect tornado pattern, right? And it's just like, I don't understand that discussion. I think you're, you're uh, the, at that point, the tail is, is wagging the dog. Yeah. Skip, you, you got anything else uh, week out that, that you're looking at or thinking about or focused on? No, I think Victor really nailed those points. Absolutely. I totally agree with him. Okay. 
Well, I, I think everybody knows that, you know, it's always storm season. And, uh, of course, tropical storms are coming in. And at helicity.co slash SFF, they've got a huge selection of weather and hurricane-themed merchandise, including Stormfront Freaks shirts, beverage containers, and stickers. So all you got to do is go to helicity.co slash SFF, and you're going to earn 5% off your entire order. Uh, and while you're there, don't forget to click on the Brands tab, and that's where you're going to find all your Stormfront Freak favorites. Again, that's at helicity.co slash SFF. So uh, we're going to go ahead. I think it's time for a break, uh, and we're going to be right back with more from Skip and Victor. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, well, hey, welcome back uh, to the first in our three-part storm training series. Uh, we've already got some great stuff from our experts tonight, Skip Talbot and uh, Victor Gensini. Guys, we, we've kind of covered now up to our one-week range, and, and so now we're getting into our two, three, four days out um, area, which now, you know, everyone knows the SPC is getting involved at this point. But um, Skip, what, I guess now we're, at this point, we're looking at a week out or less, let's go, let's say four days, right? Yeah. Uh, three, four days. What's the focus at this point? Because now we probably are going to start to really see some good model, not always, but see some model consistency with things or not, which might also help us, correct? But uh, tell us what the things you're looking at. Yeah, at three to four days, now I'm switching to the mid-range models. And um, and really now I'm, I'm honing in on more of those deterministic solutions. So if we've had that run-to-run -run consistency and that model-to-model -model consistency, and now the NAM is finally on board, that to me is the make or break point for a chase. So when the NAM comes on board and if it's, you know, thumbs up with the same pattern and the same solution, I'm making plans to chase. I'm, I'm packing the car. So um, that's, that's really what I'm looking at. And um, I know we can do it now or when we get a chance later, but I have a couple of secret weapons that, that uh, I start to look at at this time range. Dude, pull them out, man. Yeah, do it now. Secret weapons. Sure. Talk about yours. a teaser. Holy cow. No, I want, it, it's got to be like a button where it's just like, I'm going to make a storm yeah. pop up out of nowhere, right? <laughs> I was thinking of uh, dropping the mic, but maybe we'll just wait. No, drop the mic. So the, the whole reason I made this site actually was um, because there's a guy named Earl Barker who puts out these model plots. And let me, let me pull up Earl's. You guys can see my screen, right? Yep. Earl's Sweet. site is this. It was. It looks like it was made in 1995, and uh, and then you click on a thing, and all it's text. like it's all text, and it's it's all just a giant giant cluster of model outputs. So and and it and he would literally have like a table of of like here, he'd have a table of 
of model output. Like you'd have to try to find the day and the hour and the product. And you're looking through this giant grid uh, to find the products. And yet he had some of the most compelling severe weather output that I'd seen at the time. I mean, he had the best stuff. And so I had to like marshal this into a usable format. And so my motivation for making this site was Earl's site. And, and what I do is I found chasers find a little bits and crumbs that work for them. Everybody has their own secret weapons and their own, their own, you know, hacks basically that get them out there. One of my big ones in, and that I'm always preaching about in my videos is the lid strength. And so this is a measure of that lid on the atmosphere, the cap basically. And I found Earl's plots on the NAM do a great job at discriminating between surface-based and elevated storms. Because uh, when you've got a favorable value here, that, that storm can really be rooted to that boundary layer or it can be above it essentially. And so, and this plot is difficult to read and, and it's just, it, it's also a mess. I mean, look at this color scale. So I'll quickly look here, but basically what I'm looking at here is I want to see is the environment open for a surface-based storm? So, and I want to see these greens and these yellows and these reds. And to me, that's the lid strength is open. And so, again, it's a measure of of that of the cap. Other people like to look at convective inhibition. That's basically the area of the cap. Other people like to look at LFC minus LCL. Um, that's basically the the height of the cap. If you're looking at it on the sounding. Um, and, but this is basically the width of the cap. If you're looking at it on the sound and I found that width to be very telling a storm has a very difficult time getting through a short fat cap than it does a tall skinny cap, even if the convective inhibition is the same value. So if I see these dark blues and teals and purples and oranges, let's say there's a dry line in Nebraska here. Uh, but look at those colors out there. I'm basically saying that shut down for a surface-based storm. And it's one of the very few times where I'll second guess the Storm Prediction Center. They might throw a 5% out in Nebraska and I'll say that environment is not conducive for a surface-based storm. Um, so, and I used to live and die by this plot. Um, if I'm going out for a tornado, um, this is one of the best discriminators I've found to do that. Um, and, but it's really given me pause. The past couple of years, there were a couple setups that really busted this. And uh, it makes me want to go back and rethink my life even. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is one of the plots I rely on most. I think it's a great discriminator for surface-based uh, versus elevated storm mode. And, it, and to me, it's about learning how to read these plots and learning their biases and their trends. So the NAM tends to be too strong with the cap early on, and you actually see it weaken as the event gets nearer. And you also want to know, okay, is the cap opening or closing? How is this changing over time? Basically, to me, these plots are never about the specific value or the bullseye. It's always about how are they changing? How are they trending spatially, temporally? Um, you're always on the gradients. You're never in the middle of the plot. So yeah, that's one of my big secret weapons. The other secret weapon I, I use is zero to three kilometer cape, cape in the lowest level. And to me, this is a very good indicator again for tornadic versus non-tornadic. And so Earl, Earl kind of opened the door showing these plots. Um, these plots are now available on College of DuPage. They're a lot easier to read on the COD sites. I still use Earl's sites because I've learned over the years just how to read and interpret these plots and what they mean. And to, and to me, it's not just the values, it's, it's getting the experience to basically interpret and, and know what the know what this is saying to you you know 
learning how this is going to translate into an actual chase. It's basically pattern recognition at that point. But um, and yeah, I, I still think Earl actually has the best um, the best plots here. They're difficult to read, but I think his plots discriminate a little bit more tightly on 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 these types of events. So. Yeah. All right. So, so your secret weapons are is Earl, basically. Earl is the secret weapon. Earl is my secret weapon, and when Earl, I'm I'm assuming he's running these on a on a computer in his basement. Um, when Earl's page goes down, I'm in trouble. So, <laughs> so Victor, uh, secret weapons. Uh, let's let's pull them out. What what are your secret weapons? Skip. I will recreate all of those plots for you when his page goes down i don't know what his i don't know what his graphics package is weathercaster or whatever but i'll yeah. make him with grads uh that's a good question I, I you know it really depends on what am i anticipating am i anticipating a tornado chase because i'll tell you what when you're out there chasing all season you wake up in the morning and you go today's a chase day but it's not a tornado day if it's a tornado day i am very much zero to 500 meter Helicity, zero to one kilometer helicity in the presence of some sort of low level instability. Zero to three CAPE is great for that, especially zero to three ML CAPE in the afternoon, the mixed layer parcels. If I have 200, 300 joules a kilogram of, of zero to three ML CAPE, I am stoked, especially if that's in the presence of, say, 150 or 200 joules per kilogram, which is, you know, a lot of people use meter squared per second squared for helicity. It's energy, it's joules per kilogram, same units. If I see those together, it's a tornado chase. It's on for me. Absolutely. If I'm more expecting supercells to evolve, that to me is just, I look for deep layer shear and deviation, the potential for deviation. What do I think the storm motion will look like relative to the hodograph? I'm looking for the possibility for strong mesocyclones for longevity. So in that particular case, you know, we've done some research that suggests, uh, you know, things like just 500 millibar wind speed is actually a really good discriminator for whether or not you're going to have organized convection. But, uh, you know, steep lapse rates seem to always be a very, very important aspect of supercells. And so just looking at something like two to six kilometer or three to five kilometer, or, you know, some people use 700 to 500 millibar uh, of lapse rates. Those are generally areas that often invect in on the nose of those steeper lapse rates. You need those steeper lapse rates to help you break the cap in many cases, especially as you get later in the season. So I'm really just looking more for how do I think the pattern is going to evolve? How do I understand that pattern from a synoptic or mesoscale perspective? Uh, and then, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to lean for the, uh, I, this is just how I chase. I tend to lean towards the possibility of just having a storm in the bag versus, say, gambling further down the dry line in, you know, incredible instability uh, and the possibility for a tornado. I'm just not, you know, I'm out there to see convection. I'd rather be seeing storms, even if they're not great, versus being in the best possible parameter space for one hour of the day just to get a tornado shot. I mean, that's just my philosophy when I chase. So, uh, it's different, right? I think depending on the day, but for tornadoes, yeah, I want low level instability and low level helicity. Absolutely. Mm. So, so I, I have a question here. So I think we've talked about some things, you know, one to two or three days out that you're looking for. What are some red flags? And maybe Victor can start with you, you know, say, you know, the, the, the models are showing a bunch of Cape, a bunch of instability, you know, a bunch of velocity. What are some things like day of, you're looking for like, oh, the cape has gone way down. That's a big red flag. Or what, what are other, you know, things you're looking for that you say, 
uh, I'm actually going to call off this chase today. For me, if I see a lot of convection week, you know, especially early in the morning, I'm concerned about a weak cap. I, if you want explosive thunderstorm development, you have to have strong enough cap to be able to hold that lid on the boiling pot of water until bam, right? You can take it off and get the explosive uh, updrafts that you want. Now that said, it may lay, it may be perfect timing where it lays down an outflow boundary, but I, you know, if you're good enough with your mouse and okay, so let's talk about the her, right? Or the NAM nest, these convection allowing mouse. If you're good enough with your mouse and you have enough patience on any day, probably even in marginal or slight risks, you could probably find a PDS tour sounding if you take enough time to click through. But what you're really getting is just the storm modifying its local environment that's probably sucking on air that's above the boundary layer. It's elevated and, you know, it, it's spitting out PDS tour because there's tons of holicity and there's some cape but it's an elevated storm. And so I think just understanding that background environment that the storm is probably forming in, in the first place is, is really where you want to start. But I always get really, I poo poo setups a lot when the cap is too weak and also when the cap is too strong. Uh, and it's such a Goldilocks area. If it's too strong, you have uh, towers going up that look beautiful. And all of a sudden at the very top, they turn from this beautiful, crisp to mashed potatoes right there's just too there's too much dry <laughs> air there's it's what happens there's too much dry air entrainment the air is too hot mm -hmm. and the convection struggles no matter what it'll keep bubbling but it's not going to get any better right mm -hmm. and then on the flip side of that you have a case where perhaps the storms go up and they're forecasted you can pretty much see when this is going to happen in the models there's the lift is so strong or the cap is too weak and by one o'clock, storms are going up all around you and the instability is zapped like that because as soon as you get towering storms and anvils, you immediately cool the contact layer, the surface contact layer, and you kill your surface lapse rates. So yeah. it's, uh, man, no setup is, you know, no two setups are, are alike. That's what makes yeah. that's what makes it part of it fun. So cauliflower good, mashed potatoes bad. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's the there, there's the title of your of your show. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. So I have to ask you, Victor, about the super tornado outbreak of 2011. I was on air and we had like three different rounds of severe weather, an early morning round, a mid-morning round, and then the main event. And it was one of those that like even looking a couple of days, like like nine days out things were looking like, wow, what, what's happening there? You know, it just, everything was through the roof. Can you break down why that was different really than any other outbreak? And also does drought play into just how bad it can be for a season? Great question. You know, April 27th, 2011 was an outbreak amongst a historic month for tornado activity in the United States, including April 15th, 16th, uh, the 27th, of course, there were actually several significant tornado days in April of 2011. And when you look back and sort of do a forensic analysis on that month, the one thing that you see is, of course, La Nina was in play. So you had a lot of these meandering troughs into the into the uh, you know east of the Rockies. But the elevated mixed layer, the cap, if you will, was very strong. And you know, if you look, if you want to point to one thing. Why does the U.S. have more tornadoes, more severe weather than anywhere in the world? It's because of this continental tropical, the CT air mass in the desert southwest. The, uh, the Chihuahuan Desert in Mexico is elevated, like three or four kilometers above sea level. 
and the intense heating that happens there in the spring, that air mass, as it, it gets invected, right, as it, as it moves off the Mexican high plateau over top of the Great Plains or over top of the southeastern United States, that's how you get the steep lapse rates that you need to get big cape. And that's what we had in April 27, 2011. You could see that elevated mix layer being advected, moved across Texas and eventually Mississippi, Alabama, uh, you know, portions of Georgia and Tennessee. That EML, when you get an EML east of the Mississippi River, I think something like 95% of those days when you get an EML, a strong EML east of the Mississippi, they are tornado outbreaks. The case that we just had in, in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, EML. You know, these are these are things that are the elevated mix layer is the reason, right, why we have significant tornadoes in the United States. And so tracking that feature, which is more intense during drought, is something that I also am looking at as we move into the early spring. We know we talked about long range forecasting in the March time frame in the April. I'm looking to see how strong is that EML. If it's too strong then I'm going to be worried by late May, June, that everything's going to be capped off in the Southern Plains and the activity might be well further north or in the Midwest. But that was a case where we had a nice, strong, big, expansive EML, and it just invected. It was a pristine air mass that uh, was invected over, and the models did a great job forecasting it, significant agreement. That was one of those cases where, you know, if you're a big severe weather buff, you go back and look at a map of a tornado outbreak and you're like, okay, what are all the characteristics? We have a big 500 millibar trough. We got a dry line, right? 70 dew points, backflow in the warm sector. I mean, that that was the hallmark. The, the models were painting. Like if you opened up a synoptic meteorology textbook and looked next to the definition of tornado outbreak and there was a map, right? That's what you saw when you were forecasting for April 27, 2011. So that was an excellent forecast by the Storm Prediction Center. They had that highlighted, you know, several days in advance. They were talking about it in their day four through eight discussion. And people that were really interested in severe weather forecasting, you know, I'm sure were watching that a week or so in advance going, this is going to be a pretty historic day. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Brady's mom right now. You've really got to be a weather geek tonight or you're going to get left behind uh, with the discussion. <laughs> this this is uh, great, uh, great stuff. But hey, everybody, still be listening. That- that's the sound. Uh, it is time for our lightning round. So this is our game show of flashy and brilliant questions uh, that we always play with our guests. And tonight is no different. Uh, I'm, we're gonna we're gonna kind of pit Skip and uh, Victor against each. Other. I mean, these guys are like sometimes chase partners. We're gonna make them competitors tonight. We're gonna uh, put them together. And I'm gonna call this game uh, Sodas of Tornado Alley. <laughs> don't you mean soda pop phil so so I don't, whatever sodas pops so, i'm just gonna say sodas of tornado alley and uh so this is from which which this is funny but it's from thrillist.com the iconic soft drink of every state in america and so we're gonna talk about tornado alley and what i'll do gentlemen uh is i'll just kind of go back and forth and i'm gonna give you the name of a soda I'll explain it a little bit, and you have to tell me what state in Tornado Alley this happens to be the iconic soft drink, okay? And I, I, I don't know how much uh, science went into this, but uh, that's what the game is regardless. And I, I'll tell you my definition of Tornado Alley might be a little loose, uh, but but for the most part, it's going to be kind of states a little bit in the middle there uh, for the most we part. We forgive so, you, Phil. Don't worry. Uh, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start with uh, Skip. I'm going to start with you first. Okay, 
and I'm going to give you the name, and I'm, I'm throwing you a softball here uh, because you're the veteran. You've been on the show before. Victor hasn't. I should probably, I should probably switch that around, shouldn't I? Give Victor the softball. I'm going to give Victor probably. the softball, Skip. Sorry. Uh, as long as you don't ask me tonight. about So like, here is uh, the softball, dates. Victor. I'll start with you. That's really um, the name of the soda is Sioux City Sarsaparilla. It's named after this state's uh, city. It's widely regarded as one of the best sarsaparillas out there. It's even been mentioned in the Big Lebowski. Uh, so your goal is you just got to tell me what state this is the iconic soft drink in. South Dakota. Ah! No. Oh, Sioux City. I thought you said Sioux Falls. Oh, I said wow. Sioux City. I think I said uh, Skip. 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 It's a, it's to you. Who? Uh, oh, what man. state? Uh, womp, womp, womp. It's Iowa. <laughs> Close enough. Close enough. I'll give that to you. What's Close a sarsaparilla? I have no idea. What is that? A Do drink? you know? Are you? You're not a fan of Iowa chasing Iowa, then, are you, Skip? Radar O'Reilly. Yeah. <laughs> actually. Yeah, you actually haven't chased until you've been to a Sioux City Canaries baseball game. Yeah. Ah, okay, so uh, yeah, so that's gonna probably knock a lot of people out of uh, calling themselves chasers. <laughs> that's me. Huh? <laughs> I'm, out. I'm out. I'm out. All right, so uh, Skip, we're going to you since you got it. Um, I'm gonna call this. Uh, so here's the soda. It's called Sundrop. It's the citrus soda we've been introduced. Um, uh, that may have been introduced in Missouri, but it's got a strong foothold in this upper Midwest state. What uh, what state is this the iconic soft drink of? Sundrop. Sundrop, upper Midwest. Um, the only thing that comes to mind, upper Midwest, is Minnesota. So I'm going to just guess that one. And that nice. is correct. It's there you go. There you go. Minnesota. So, nice. All right, here we go. All right, we're back to you, Victor. Um Dublin Dr. Pepper. So a variety of Dr. Pepper that uses cane sugar rather than high fructose corn syrup. Dublin Dr. Pepper was actually discontinued back in 2012, but you can still find it in soda fountains all over this state. I'm going to say this state because the only person that I know that loves Dr. Pepper more than anyone in the world is Roger Edwards, SPC <laughs> forecaster, and he's from Texas. <laughs> ah, no idea. That would be uh, that would be incorrect. So, Skip, I'll throw it to you. Do you happen to know what state this uh, might be the iconic soft drink? Real cane sugar. Uh, apparently, yep. Sounds hippie-ish. Like people people in the South want their high fructose corn syrup. I'm going. I'm going Colorado. Yep. <laughs> Not Colorado. All right, freaks. Any idea? Missouri. Colorado. Nebraska, Wisconsin, Kansas, Kansas. It was actually Oklahoma. Apparently, oh, Oklahoma no. still has this. In Roger their Edwards fountains. lives in Oklahoma. You should have gone with that. Oh. <laughs> wow. All right, Skip. Uh, here we go. Sprecher Root Beer. It's a pretty standard brewery that makes beer, but it's also well known for its sodas, particularly its root beer, which has this state foaming at the mouth. Um, I think it's Missouri. It is not. Uh, Victor, any idea what state has uh, Sprecher Root Beer, Sprecher Brewery? I will go with 
Uh, it's got to be Northern Plains. I, I'm going to say North Dakota. Incorrect. Uh, and this might be where my definition of Tornado Alley gets a little more liberal. Freaks, I'll throw it to you. Any idea? MJ, think of the Dells. Oh, wherever it is, they need the rabies shot. Because I don't think it's really Wisconsin? normal to foam with the mouth. Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin. Ah. Yeah, Wisconsin. Ah. So, yeah, a little, little, little liberal there. But, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Skip, we're back to you. I have got IBC root beer. So this was once this state's most famous soda company. IBC is now owned by Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, but it doesn't make this root beer any less delicious. What state? Oh, man, I have no clue. Um, Kansas. All right, Victor. I will say Nebraska. <laughs> okay, freaks. That's good. Nice and quick. Missouri. Arkansas. Did we do it? Missouri. Missouri. Oh, it was Missouri. Got it. Yeah, that was Missouri. All right. Uh, here we go, Victor. Uh, lost. So we're, we're in the root beers. Lost Trail root beer. It's a tried and true uh, brew with this state. Lost Trails root beer has been made in state since the frontier days. Ooh, I was going to go something along the Homestead Act. Uh, but perhaps maybe Oregon Trail now, I'm thinking. So I'm not I'm that liberal with my tornado alley, so don't think <laughs> Oregon. No, 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 no. I'm Germany. I think I will go with Kansas on that, actually. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Kansas, nice. very good. Very well good, fine. Kansas. All right, Skip. Uh, uh, this one's kind of a little bit uh, for you guys, but you ended up with it. All right, Green River. Originally the product of a brewery facing restrictive prohibition policies, uh, Green River grew to be this state's favorite soft drink uh, and been bottled for years. Green River, and it's for us? Um, is it Illinois? <laughs> A little bit of tornado alley. Yes. Nice. That, was, that, was, that was for you guys. Uh, all right, here's one. Uh, we're going to go, Victor, to you. Kool-Aid. Uh, Kool-Aid is this state's official state soft drink, uh, one of only two states to have one, and was invented there in 1927. I feel yeah. like that, that's got to be Texas. Skip, what do you think? It's somewhere down south. I'm going with Arkansas. <laughs> Maz? Nebraska. Did, no, did we do tech? Oh, what's uh, Nebraska? <laughs> okay. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll throw, we'll throw a, a couple more out there. Uh, who is Skip? We're at you. Um, so if you ask it, uh, uh, this is Dr. Pepper. So if you ask someone from this state what kind of Coke they want, chances are they'll, uh, the answer will be Dr. Pepper. Uh, granted, Coke is their word for soda, but it's still pretty telling. Mm. Coke's a word for soda, so it's down south. Um, Louisiana? All right, that's probably outside of the tornado alley. Well, I, I'm pretty liberal, but no, it's not Louisiana. <laughs> so, Victor. I, again, I, I would agree. I, it's got to be something in the south. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas? I don't know, something. I'd say Texas. 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 Everything's a Coke down there. Orange Coke, cherry Coke, whatever Coke. Uh, okay, yep. uh, Victor. Okay, so we're going to do one more. Last one. Uh, Coca-Cola. Damn it, we couldn't find anything for this state, so we just made their soda Coke. 
get your act together. This is a little bit of a Hail Mary, and I'll, I will actually take two different, I'll take two states uh, can be the answer for this one, because the answer for the other state was the same thing. So Coca-Cola. Uh, so now, okay, origin, I'm thinking Atlanta area, so somewhere east, I'll, I'll say Arkansas. Skip. This is made up, by the way. So, so you're you're thinking too you're you're thinking too hard. I can tell you guys. Are, that's why it said, "Damn it, we couldn't find anything for this state." So they just said Coca-Cola. So, all right, Skip. Um, South Dakota. I would have taken South Dakota or North Dakota. So nice. Uh, yeah, so good. All right, so well done. I don't know who won. I, you guys both won. You're both good at that. Um, or yeah, both suck at it. I, I don't know. <laughs> But it was fun regardless, so thanks for playing along. So let, let's do this. Uh, Victor, I'll start with you uh, since you're the rookie here. Where, where can listeners find you online? So I am on Twitter, at uh, GensiniWX, and then I have a Storm Chasing blog that I'm really lazy. I try to update it, but uh, it's uh, GensiniWX.com. Cool. All right, Skip, your turn. Where can people find you? Um, you can sub my YouTube channel, Skip Talbot Storm Chasing. And you can follow me on Facebook. Um, I will post there occasionally. And I also update a website, skip.cc. And I'm for anybody watching, I'm actually playing Skip's three hours of Tornadoes uh, mm-hmm. video in the background. It's kind, of, it's kind of a Storm Chasers Yule Log uh, video. It's kind of fun. So you can find that on YouTube as well. Did, you give, him, did you give him permission, Skip? Did you? <laughs> I did. You have my blessing. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not making any money on this, so you're good. <laughs> All right, so hey, everybody, we're going to go ahead. We're going to take our final break. Uh, we're going to have more hashtag Weather Fools coming up. And uh, Brady's back, and he's got his What Happens Next segment. So uh, we'll see you in a bit. <laughs> everyone, this is Pecos Hank Shima, and you're listening to Stormfront Freaks Podcast. Let's take a drive under the moon. Let's take a drive under the somber sky. Let's take a drive under the moon. Well, today we are going to be talking about Weather Fools. This is where we get to find some fantastic videos of people on the internet doing things that maybe aren't so smart. I'm going to go ahead and start today with the first Weather Fool. And uh, it's always people driving in water for some reason. I don't quite know why that happens. But there's a gigantic truck that says, I can do this. I can do this. And he has a gigantic truck, so he thinks he can. But we can start to see things are not not going well. I don't think he's on the road anymore. No, it's no. definitely oh, too bumpy out. for the road. No, 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 no. That's right. There he goes. Oh, oh, no. No. Ding, ding, so, ding. yeah. So it doesn't matter how big your truck is. Even if you're driving a semi truck, please turn around and don't drown. Don't drive through floodwaters. I, I did read he was say, like he was okay. The driver was okay, even though he tipped his vehicle over. But. He yeah, was. It's hard, it's hard to see the road when there's a ton of water flowing over the road. Yes. It's just, it's water so strong. It doesn't take much to move big, heavy things like a semi truck. So don't think you can do it in your Dodge Neon. Anywho. Uh, thousand um, gallons of petroleum is good too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That totally didn't spill into the water, I hope. Um, all right. So another weather fool. We've got Brady that I hear has one. 
Yeah, so so my weather fool, I, I don't really think it, they're not really a fool. This video just kind of made me laugh. So this oh, is God. a, a meteorologist a in, in, in Suox, uh, or Sioux City, uh, and she is doing the weather forecast with a cat in her arms, and the cat just just kind of lounging. It's just kind of enjoying the forecast. <laughs> That's, That's adorable. That's so yeah, the, the, this cat, this woman is just holding the cat, doing the forecast, and the cat's just kind of chilling there. Looks like it was maybe a little drugged out, maybe a little cat, a little too much catnip, but it's having a good time. All right, That's hard to work the clicker. That's my weather. <laughs> Phil's done. Hey, I'm impressed with the ability to like, hold a cat and work the clicker at the same uh, that's time. That's impressive, yeah. MJ, what you got for Weather Fools? All right, we got a couple listener contributed ones. This is from uh, the Live Storm Chasers. This is at a Home Depot. And I guess the fool is they're awfully close to as you watch some sheet metal fly by and you watch some other things fly by during this storm. It's coming up. You kind of got to watch for it. Um, but again, they're just standing probably at the big garage door while things kind of fly. Oh, here it comes. Why things fly by. So not such a smart idea. Oh, that's a lot right? of debris. Yeah. Yep. A lot of debris. And then from ADO, going back to the water thing, where it always seems like it's water, um, from ABO Outdoors, they're in a Tesla, and they're driving through, and enlarge you can watch that. the water come en over the... Can you enlarge that? I can try. Expand, expand the video. There you go. Um, oh, that's all this. And the water just keeps coming over the, the hood at them, and they just keep driving right through it. And if we watch long enough, and maybe we'll get there, uh, they drive out of it, so they make it. Um, I don't know how, because that's really deep water, and I don't know how the water's not in the vehicle, but there you go. Yeah, Electricity and, and, and water, good. And, yeah, MJ, I, I read somewhere it was because the normal cars have a combustion engine, so when water gets in, it, it basically yeah, prevents the explosion, but in electric cars, there is no combustion. But I can't you know, help but believe the battery's got to be fried the, or something. That can't know. be good, and apparently no. well-sealed, too. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. extremely. You know, so there you go. Goodness. All right. Great. Well, thank you, MJ. Phil, I hear you have uh, multiple weather fools. I've got a, a few. Foolish. You, you, you had hands. one of them. That good old semi truck tipping over in Arizona uh, was classic. So I, I'm down to just only five tonight. Uh, so it's a, a slow night for me. But uh, so the first one comes from Utah, and this is a, a vehicle on. Look at uh, they're on the edge of these flash flood waters in Utah. Oh. Oh my God. And they are right on the edge. And this water is moving incredibly fast. Oh my God, I'll say. And they're they're like in it. They're right on the edge, so they're not floating away yet. But we all know how flash floods can work, is it can come quickly. Oh. Oh. And these guys are right on the edge. So they're they're just a little too close. Not smart. That's so Why aren't they backing up or getting out of their car? They're just like, yeah, they're not oh, moving either. Fine. No. Yeah. yeah. All right. Care. Next one. This is kind of fun. So this was a, a photo, and as you see it now, uh, kind of interesting, right? It's a concert. It's a Garth Brooks concert. But when I click to expand the photo, you see all these people sitting in the stands. There's 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 some starting to gather down on the floor for getting ready for the concert. Must be early. Oh. And when I enlarge oh. the photo, you see this massive <laughs> lightning bolt just outside the stadium. And all these people are just getting excited to getting ready to watch Garth Brooks. And I want to see Garth, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So not, not good there. All right, next one. Uh, this is a uh, video, a tornado footage from Pennsylvania. And these people are in their car. 
and they they're stopped on a road oh, with the and the tornado is right in front of them. Like literally, right it's crossing oh, yeah. the road. Debris everywhere. Right in front of them. And so, folks, y- you have to be weather aware. Like, at least know if you're driving home from work that there might be some storms in the area. Um, you know, keep the keep your phone on you so you get the WIA alerts, uh, all that stuff. But, yeah, this is just and, obviously way too close for anybody, let alone a bunch of people it, driving home from work. This is going to say possibly scarier. There's people closer to it than them. Yeah, yeah. in front oh, yeah. of them, right? You aren't backing up. They're just kind of chilling. Yeah, not good. All right, another one. Those of you uh, Jen left, but uh, those of you from Atlanta, here's a here's a good one from uh, an Atlanta Braves game. Uh, yeah. People in the stands, you know, watching baseball. You can see they're playing baseball down yeah. at the bottom. There's a massive lightning bolt uh, just beyond the uh, big jumbotron video jumbotron, right? And of course, you know, this is Major League Baseball, and this shouldn't surprise anybody at this point. I think they are the worst professional sport mm-hmm. in continuing to go because mm-hmm. once the game starts, and this this is for a lot of sports, uh, once the game starts, it's in the hands of, of the officials or umpires, mm-hmm. and they're not weather experts. They, they don't know what they're doing, but that's certainly a dangerous situation. And last think- but not least, uh, here is a video, Thunderstorm Approaching. And uh, we've got some uh, roofers. Oh, roofers up on the oh boy. Oh man. Up uh, putting shingles on a on a uh, house, and there's uh, there's storms coming in. There's you can see the yeah, the winds yeah. kind of picking up a little bit, um, and apparently there were some more severe storms coming, and they're just <laughs> cranking on a roof right now. So not, gotta finish uh, the job, Phil. Gotta finish the where job. Where I want right? to be again, <laughs> again, place. not weather aware, but those are my five, Serena. Oh, man. Safest place to be in a thunderstorm on a roof. That's a good one. Well, if you want to take a look at these links and uh, see these pictures and videos of our weather fools, check out episode 137 show notes for all the details. Woo! Love this song, baby. All right. Now it's time for Brady's What Happens Next. Now, for those that it's their first time watching this show or haven't heard this segment before, basically I'm going on the internet looking for a bunch of crazy weather videos, trying to keep it on theme on season. I'm going to play maybe the first five to ten seconds for the freaks and for you all, and I'm going to ask you guys what happens next, and I want you guys to guess, put it on the chat uh, for the freaks. Go ahead and shout it out. Uh, Let's first start off in, uh, I believe this is in North Carolina, Uh, Let me make this video a little bit larger and don't look at the title here. Uh, I'm going to play it. And there's a water spout on the beach. Uh, Looks like there's some people on the beach as well. I'm going to pause it right here. What do you guys think happens next? So the water, so it's kind of now it's, it's kind of a land spout at this point, right? It's on the beach. Yep. It's, it's moved from the water onto the land. It's kind of kicking up some sand. I mean, it still looks, it still looks like kind of a land spout pretty weak, right? What do you guys think? I say we see a bunch of umbrellas start. Yeah. Start beach umbrellas floating. This comes right at the camera. I'm going to say a lightning strike. Yep. Okay. All right. Go flying. Yeah. I think, I think the kite, I think you're onto something there, Skip. I think you're onto something. All right. Let's see what happens next. So, now we see a close-up. It's a oh full-fledged my. tornado. Tornado. I yeah. mean, this thing is a beast. So usually you don't see water spouts come on land and turn into tornadoes. But this thing, I mean, oh, this thing's bad. Is, this yeah. thing oh. is a bad, bad, mean-looking wow. tornado. Huh. So I wonder how, how many – I'm curious how many people were caught and they were 
watching that or wow. yeah i mean i mean i'm gonna pause it right here you can you can kind of see there is a you know there's people running oh, there's I mean, people running yeah. oh my gosh yeah. you know so luckily this, this sand is not a projectile so that's no. good to know yeah and you can see there's a there's a <laughs> cop car on the beach right by it yeah this was this was oh. not good so all right It'll take the skin off though you know right so next video here uh i'm gonna pause it right here this is a picture of uh, a boat in the water. It looks like there's some rain in the background. What it's do you guys think happens next? You got you got multiple boats. A marina. Yeah. Once again, don't look. Is it like a me. downburst maybe coming in? Here, let me let me leave it like that. <laughs> what do you guys think happens next? For those that didn't see the title, I won't say. Tip the boat. Okay. All right. Well, let's watch. Here it comes. Here it comes. Boom. Oh, oh it hit the lightning strike. Hits, oh hits literally the boat that's closest to the camera. You can hear the guy cussing in the camera. You can't hear it now, but it was crazy. It's just the biggest boom ever. You know, it makes sense. Look at the mast on that thing. Yes. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. So I'm curious, what, what was this person video, like fil filming or taking video of at the time? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, my it's guess a, it's a marina. <laughs> there's no activity and it's gray. There's yeah. like what was maybe it was lightning was happening and he didn't realize it would be that close. Yeah, my my guess my guess is lightning was happening because it was raining. You can hear rain. I mean that's oh. just crazy. It's just a really close up lightning oh, strike geez. that you can just see on the camera. So was there damage to the boat? I couldn't tell. Yeah, I I, I don't think it's <laughs> sea safe anymore. At this uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I think the electronics are all fried. All right, I'm not going to zoom in on this one so you guys won't see the title. Uh, you know, let this one go for about a second. So there's a car driving along. It's raining pretty heavily. They're they're you know going their windshield wipers pretty. Doesn't look like the wind's kicking up too bad just yet. What do you guys think happens next? It almost looks like it's got to be a lightning one. This might have yeah. been my weather fool uh, a couple episodes ago, Brady. Oh, was it? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just throw out that maybe that SUV gets hit by lightning. You know, Damn. Phil, I think you might be onto something here. <laughs> I think you might be onto something here. So driving and I along. Said it, you know, and I said it wasn't really a weather fool because it wasn't really their fault. They're just driving. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, and, lightning strikes. And you just see, I mean, you just see, like, I'm going to try and get a still here of this lightning because it goes right through the car into the ground. Yes, it does. And it's dead. And, I mean, it kills the car. Like, it's, I've never yeah. seen oh, yeah. that before. It's probably yeah, always, happened to skip ow. three or four times, oh, but goodness. for the rest of us. Yeah, I've always wondered what would happen to a car because they say, oh, you got the rubber wheels, you're okay. But really, are you like, do you feel anything in the car? I don't know. I've heard it it's actually the metal cage, like that it's like a Faraday cage around you, like the frame of the car more so than That's the right. rubber wheels. But That's I don't know. That's from the metal. I, I wonder well, if your windows like, have to be closed. Car? Is that yeah. correct? Is that also true? Like, if you have open windows, yeah. do you lose that Faraday effect? No, you don't, um, but they should be closed. I mean, that increases the danger <laughs> a lot, but uh, yeah, it is the metal skin. Wow. Huh. Well, well, cool, guys. That is uh, what happens next. Uh, we'll have all of those clips on uh, your favorite podcast app in the show notes section. Just look for episode 137. Send me a postcard. Drop me a line. You've got mail, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got some mail. We got a couple of them today. Vince uh, Wal uh, Welty checks in and says it's not a storm chase if you aren't finding out what the Stormfront Freaks hosts are drinking. And uh, Vince has a uh, picture along with this tweet uh, showing them in the car uh, with the Stormfront Freaks podcast dialed up on the uh, on the entertainment 
you know, console. So thank Cheers. you, Vince. Cheers to you. Cheers, Vince. Yes. And of course, our friend Jay Bingham, Jay is painting, uh, checks out and says, shout out to MJ or was it Maz? And I'm going to say this time it was Maz uh, on the latest Stormfront Freaks episode who slipped in the Caddyshack reference that no one else picked up on during uh, Weather Fools. Uh, so that was I kind of remember that that he it it uh, was and that that was your uh, I don't think the hard, the I don't I don't think the heavy stuff's really uh, yeah, heavy shit. Well, yeah. that's right that's right exactly <laughs> yeah. love that movie that was great. so <laughs> thanks everyone for checking in as always uh, you can always find us on Facebook on uh, Twitter on Instagram uh, look for the Stormfront Freaks and you can email us to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com that's the Freak Fan Box. Very good. Well, hey, I think that just about does it, guys, for this episode of Stormfront Freaks Podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening or uh, watching the show. Before I get to uh, and announce who our next guests uh, are going to be, uh, if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe or follow uh, the Stormfront Freaks Network. That way you're going to get notified. You'll receive the latest episodes of our show and El Nino's. Uh, it'll be delivered right to your podcast player the moment it gets released. Uh, I also want to let everybody, anyone that um, uh, cover this, anyone that drops a great written review on Apple Podcasts and email me at phil at stormfrontfreaks.com to identify their review and give me an address. Okay, so if you do that, give us a great written review on Apple Podcasts. Then go ahead and email me, phil at stormfrontfreaks.com, and um, identify your reviewer name, because that's not always clear, and give me your address, uh, and I'm going to get you our exclusive I Break for Storm stickers that also have our logo on them, so I'll send that out to you, uh, anybody that does that. Also, visit patreon.com slash stormfrontfreaks, and you can check out all the ways we can do more with you and how you can also help support the show, whether it's the live access to view and chat during our raw video recordings, uh, exclusive merch. You can even join us and our guests in the green room. All you do is visit patreon.com slash stormfrontfreaks to join the team and thank you for supporting the show. I, and talk about a great show tonight. I do want to have a special thanks to our GOATs tonight, right? We talked about the Olympics, uh, the greatest of all time. Tonight, Skip Talbot and Victor Gensini. You guys were great. Awesome. So Skip, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Good thanks job, for guys. coming back. That's, that's yeah. what uh, I was always shocked that you at least came back, so that was a good sign. <laughs> but, hey, our next episode, we're back in two weeks recording live and raw for our Patreon members on Thursday, August 19th. We're going to have part two of our storm training series uh, talking with storm chasers Reed Timmer and Quincy Vagel, and we're going to talk about storm target forecasting within 24 hours now, right, as we get to the day of. Um, that audio podcast will also be up and available the following Sunday. So for MJ, for Maz, Brady, Serena, uh, Jen, who had to take off early, but also for Skip, who's still with us, uh, I'm going to signal the all clear, and we'll catch you guys next time. So good night, everybody. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Find our bi-weekly show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast app. And watch our live and recorded shows on YouTube. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, merchandise, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you are there, check out our live interactive storm chaser radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. 
If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. Search Stormfront Freaks. We'd love to hear from you. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.